to the gospel according to the good Dr. Luke. We are still in the parable of the lost sons. You may have heard of that parable under the title of the prodigal son. I'm going to hopefully share some things today that maybe you haven't seen or worked through. Few people have said that. But I think there's a really deep message here that we need to get. Chapter 15 started with, with two parables and moved into this third one. But I, I, I want to make it clear that you ought not to separate the parables. There really aren't three stories. There are, but there aren't. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. That's it, one story. And it comes together at the end of this one. And they're intentionally put together by Jesus. They are intentionally taught the way he taught it to draw his audience. What is he, what, what's the design of Scripture? What was the design of the teaching of Jesus? To draw the audience outside of themselves. Right? You need to come out of yourself. Get out of your own little world and your own little universe and come out and be drawn in to God's story. That's what this is. This is powerful. And it's easily missed. If you disconnect it from the first two parables, and we won't do that today, we're going to show you how it all beautifully fits together. So this is the title. I told you last week we would do the two sons, and we did. And it's easy to contrast them. But there's something in the parable that we, we, we can't miss. The true elder brother. You ready for this? This is, the, this is the true elder brother. Let's take a look. 15 is the chapter 25. Now, remember last week, if you were here, if not, it's all online. You can go listen to it. We read the entire passage, the whole parable. This week, we're going to just simply step in at the elder brother, even though we've read it before. But this is where we're going to focus. Only we're going to focus beyond the elder brother. We're going to look at the true elder brother. But that's where we come in, okay? 25. Here now, the Word of God. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Let's pray together. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning, everyone, by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel. Nobody came here interested in listening to the imagination of a man. But everyone is here, hungry and thirsty for the revelation of God. May it thunder forth from this pulpit. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved. Comfort for those in storm winds. Rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. Father, we'd ask that you would give us ears to hear. But don't stop there. Minds to understand, but don't stop there. 
hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ and that this truth would flow through our hands and through our feet. Make us your church. So come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, here we go. Something new, I think. Something very important that's deep in here. Three headings first, ready? Number one, there's what's called the similarities in the three parables. That's why you can't separate these three. We're going to look at similarities. Number two, we're going to look at the striking difference. There's a massive difference here, which Jesus does intentionally. He's drawing the audience in. And then finally, number three, the point. A couple things to remember. You would all agree and and believe that the gospel is the greatest story ever told, right? So if the gospel is the greatest story, we would probably then agree that Jesus is the greatest storyteller who ever lived. If that's true, don't you have to ask the question, why does the parable end without an ending? there's, There's no end. The brother's left outside. We don't know if he goes in or not. Why would he do that? That's the question that has to be asked. It's intentional. He's he's speaking to our hearts. He wants us to understand that there's something that's missing. Not just in the parable, there's something missing in life. Something that's missing from all of us. And there's something we should be longing for. And and all of us are, but often we don't know what that is. We all have this deep longing. We'll look at it deeply in a moment. But he's, he's drawing us in. And remember a couple points. He has utterly destroyed their entire belief system. Okay? You're talking about the people of God, the the Israelites, and their belief system was clear. That if you were bad, you were out, and if you were good, you were in. Okay? Right? But how is it possible that the lover of prostitutes goes into the feast? The bad seed, the younger brother, but the good man, the moral man, the righteous man is left outside. They're beside themselves. They've never heard anything like this. And what is Jesus saying? You're hearing a message that you've never heard in your entire life. I'm shattering everything that you believed. The gospel is not moralism. The gospel is not religion or irreligion. It's not something in the middle. It's something altogether different. Something you have never heard before in your entire life. I'm going to shatter everything that you've believed. The bad are not out and the good are not in. They're all out. And they only come in by way of invitation from the Father because the elder brother was willing to go and get them. This shatters everything they believed. We need... We all know that we need to repent. Yes, the life of the Christian is a constant flow of Obedience and disobedience and repentance and restoration and obedience and disobedience and repentance and restoration. Right? Jesus says, surely the gospel is that, but that's not all. We not only need to repent of the bad stuff we do, we need to repent of the good stuff we do. That elder brother did nothing wrong. I've always obeyed you. I've always done what you've asked. But he needed to repent as badly and as desperately as the younger brother. Why? He was as alienated from the father as the younger son was. The challenge is for the elder brothers is they don't know it. They think they're the ones who are in. 
And remember, both were seeking the same thing. What were they seeking? The good life, whatever that is. Everyone in the world is seeking the same. You are. They are. Everyone. Whatever you define good to be, whatever that is. Everyone wants to live a good life, whatever that is. And there's two ways to do it. And the parable shows us there's two. One, you can do it through self-discovery. You can run off and live life any way that you want. Live what we call, as Charles Taylor would say, expressive individualism. Which means the individual becomes more important than anything else in the world. And that's what's happened in this cultural context, in this country, yes? Community no longer matters, family no longer matters, it's the individual. You do whatever you want to do, when you want to do it, regardless of the cost or the circumstances. It's all about me. Well, in that cultural context, it was not. And in some traditional cultures, it still exists, it is not. So that's one way. You, you save yourself through your own program. Or you save yourself by being good, running toward God, keeping all the laws, keeping all the rules and regulations, thereby putting God in your debt. The elder brother said what? You owe me. They both were seeking the same thing. What did they both want? The father's stuff. They didn't want the father. They both wanted exactly the same thing to meet them in their deepest place of need, to, to, to identify what they believed to be a good life, but neither of them wanted a relationship with the father. They wanted his resources. But it was easy to see the younger one because he just ran off. So now, what's the challenge? Who's the younger brother? Say, I am, I am. Who's the elder brother? Say, I am, say, I am. We're all of it. But we have a tendency to lean one side or the other. But make no mistake, that is inside of our hearts. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I want you to see something you've never seen before. That's not the way to the Father. Either one of those ways. I'm the way. And I'm going to show you what that means and what it looks like. You ready? This is really, really good. Okay. Repent of our bad stuff and our good stuff. Think about that for a moment. Even our good deeds are like filthy. Mm, mm. Isaiah knew it. Okay, self-salvation project, everybody's working towards theirs. We even at times, even though we know, right, we're saved by grace, but even though you know you're saved by grace, at some level you think if you live a good life, you do the right stuff, God has to what? Bless you. Yes, you do. We all do. Right? You miss your morning devotions, you speed to work, cut somebody off, little hostile at the office, come home, forget to make the stop to get the milk for mama, don't do your evening prayers and devotions with your family, next morning it's raining before you go to the car and you're looking up here wondering if God's going to smite you when you get into that vehicle from the time it takes to go from the door to the car. Why? Because you think God is angry with you. He blesses you when you do good and he curses you when you do bad. We all believe that at some level. That's why you'll see people have been in the church 20, 25, 30 years when something bad happens, and they leave. Why? I, I, I don't deserve this. All these years I slaved for you. All the, and this is, this, is the, this is the thanks I get? And they leave. Who were they serving? Themselves. Trying to broker God's favor. You want a God you can put in a box. We all do. 
Why? Now you have control. There isn't anybody here. There's isn't anybody on the face of the earth that doesn't want control. But you can't control God. There's nothing. There's nothing. God cannot ask of you. Nothing. There's nothing that you have that isn't his. And that includes the people sitting next to you. Ready? We're going to head out into some deep waters. Let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what is the similarities in the three parables? These are very simple things. And I think they're going to really resonate and it's going to build to the conclusion. Ready? Where, where, all three have to stay together. Can't have the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Can't, can't sit. They're together. Number one, something was lost. You, you would agree with that. Sheep was lost. A coin was lost. Son was lost. Something was found. A sheep was found. A coin was found. A son was found. Now pause. He's speaking to an audience that has two groups of people, two kinds of people. And that's all the world has, two kinds of people. Those on the outside who, who know it and see it. Those who are on the outside but think they're on the inside and don't see it. So he has the, the, the younger brother, tax collectors, and, and prostitutes over here. Those are the younger brothers running off. Everybody knows they're lost. But then he has the religious leaders and the Pharisees over here, the good guys, the moralists over here who think they're in. So he says to these religious leaders, he's not speaking to the younger brother, and he's speaking to the elder brother, and he says, I want you to think like a shepherd, which they're outraged. We're not shepherds. But he says, if one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one, wouldn't you go? course you would after he insults them and asking them to think like a shepherd he goes deeper now i want you to think like a woman a woman now they're beside themselves which of you had 10 coins loses one wouldn't go find it he's 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 breaking down everything that they thought was good and true and right and noble and pure they were so far from god and then each parable ends, at least at the halfway point, act one ends of the prodigal, with what? Rejoicing and celebration. See the similarities? Something lost, something found, and a great celebration. A great, great celebration for that which was lost now has been found. Okay, see it? Clear. Easy. Similarities. But there's something that is radically missing. Let's take a look at the striking difference. There's something that isn't here in this final parable that's there in the first two. In the very first one, we have a shepherd. And the shepherd does what? He heads off and searches to find the sheep. Made sense. And Jesus builds on that. Because you ask yourself, why these three in a row? Now the woman with the coin. We have a woman who searches to find the lost coin. So now the audience then and now you're anticipating, okay, the son is gone, but no one searches to find the son. It doesn't mean as much to us today separated 2,000 years from a cultural context and immersed in the cultural context we live in in this nation today. There are still cultures today that would understand whose responsibility it was to go. 
So now we have to go a little deeper theologically and get an understanding of the ancient culture and what's going on here, okay? Who, there's the question, who should have gone out to, why, why, why tell the first two and flow into the third if he wasn't making a point? Who should have gone out to search? Somebody should have gone. That culture knew somebody should have gone. That ancient culture absolutely was steeped in understanding who should have gone. Who? The elder brother. He was responsible for what? He had received the lion's share of the inheritance. He was responsible for holding the family together. It was his job to say to the father, Father, my brother's gone. He's gone too long. Your son is, 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 is out there somewhere. I'm going to go. It is my duty and my responsibility as the elder brother, the elder son. I'm going to go. I'm going to find him. I don't care what it costs. And when I do, I'm going to bring him home. And I am going to reunite this family together again. Why doesn't he do it? Why, why doesn't he go out after him? Because he has counted the cost and he's unwilling to pay it. And you say, what's the cost? And you think to yourself for just a moment, well, he's going to have to leave. It's going to cost him the time, the energy, and the... No. 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 What's it going to cost him? If he goes and finds the son, and he brings the son back, and if the father reinstates the son, which he would do, and he knows the father will do that, what happens to his share? The son becomes an heir. The younger brother becomes an heir again. His share is diminished. He knows the cost. He's unwilling to pay the cost. He has no interest in that cost. Why does he stay outside? You know how you can make votes of protest, right? Right? If you're not happy, happy with me or the church, you can protest with your wallet, right? Not put, you, you're not happy with somebody, you can protest by not showing up to an event they invite you to. It's all sorts of ways to protest, right? We can all protest lots of ways. He made a protest by not going in. What did he say? I have no interest in being part of this family. I, I'm not part of this family. I have nothing to do with you. You're not my father. That guy is not my brother. He may be your son, but he's had nothing to do with me. I'm out. I have no interest in this. Okay, ready? 1531, here's the key. Here's the key, don't miss this. My son, my son. He's already shamed the father by not going in. He forces the father to come out and he says, look you. Imagine speaking like that to your dad. In that patriarchal culture, the father should have booted him. Giving him blows like he should have given the younger brother when he asked for a share. Both of those boys were alienated from their father. But the father goes to both of them. He goes out and he meets the younger brother when he comes home. He sees him from a far way off and he runs and falls on his neck and kisses him. But he goes out to the elder brother too. He says, son, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. What did that mean? That was a literal truth. 
Everything that was left on the estate, who owned it? He did, the elder brother. When the father died, he would get it all. It had already been divided. He had the lion's share, it was his. So now, what's his? The robe. The, the father says, bring the best robe. The elder brother can't even believe, that's my robe. No, the best robe is the father's. And he brings the father's robe and he puts it on the son. He says, bring the ring. He says, no, no, that's my ring. And then they put sandals on his feet and they sacrificed the fatted calf, all the resources. They're all the elder brothers and he had no interest in parting with any of that. He, he, he's, he's out of his mind. How can you possibly look what he did? Squandered everything that, that, that he had on prostitutes and, and you bring him home? And you make him an heir? This is outrageous. And Jesus is saying, no, this is the gospel. And all of you elder brothers have missed it. You think you're in. Because you're good. Let me make something perfectly clear. Jesus didn't die to make you good. Jesus died to make you his. And by making you his, he makes you good. But there are so many elder brothers in churches all over this world who think Jesus died to make you good. He did not. He died to make you his. To have a relationship with him. So that your heart would beat for him and not for his stuff. We need an elder brother willing to part not with just his belongings but with something much deeper. You ready? We'll have to go a little deeper into the water, shall we? And let our nets down just a bit lower for this catch. Number three. What is the point of the true elder brother? We have one that I'm going to show you now. I say this often Sometimes weekly, depends. The Bible you hold is one word to one world, yes? It's not two testaments, it's not 66 books. It's one word to one world, and it all fits together perfectly because it comes from one mind. I understand there were 40-plus writers, depending on how you read it. 1,500-plus years. Three continents, three languages, okay? But one mind. Yes, they wrote personally, with their own personalities, their own life experiences, the way they saw, but they wrote under the inspiration of the one mind, the one mind that has given us this one word into one world. You understand? The parable of the prodigal son was already preached back in Exodus. And it was a setup for that day that Jesus sat in that circle to teach and it was a setup for you today Genesis 4 9 you know this then the Lord said to Cain where is your brother Abel I don't know he replied which was a lie am I my brother's keeper what did Jesus do in the parable the, the elder brother should have gone. He didn't. He's a flawed elder brother. What, did that, what, what was the design of the flawed elder, elder brother? To get your heart to long for what? The true one. The true elder brother who was to come. The, 
we go back to Genesis, the true, who is the true elder brother? We're supposed to be Cain. The firstborn murders the secondborn. Adam and Eve weren't, weren't born. They were created, yes? So the firstborn, Cain, murders Abel. Why? His elder brother heart. He was angry with his little brother because God accepted his offering and not his. Because he offered his with a heart that was filled with resentment and anger and hostility. And God didn't receive it. So he slays his brother instead of what? Serving his brother. And that parable was preached back in the fourth chapter of Genesis. And Jesus just laid it on a table for everyone to see and to understand. But we'll go one step further. Ready? Genesis 25, 23. Remember Jacob and Esau? Remember? The Lord said the older will serve the young. That's a complete reversal in the ancient cultural context. Even today, the younger serve the older, right? The younger gets the hand-me-downs. The youngers get to bunk together and you get old enough to get your own room, right? If you have space, right? No. No, God says, no, the older... Esau will serve Jacob. So you come to the scriptures and you say, okay, I need to understand the first horizon. I need to understand what the original author's intent was to the original audience. So that's the real story. There really was an Esau and there really was a Jacob. And you need to understand how God was forming his people. But there's something much deeper than that. That's not enough. You don't want to stay in Israel in the Old Testament. Who's the older who will serve the younger, ultimately pointing to? Can I get an hallelujah? Hallelujah. hallelujah. Who's the older brother? Jesus, the ancient of days. The older has come to serve the younger. Do you see how this fits? Jesus is telling the parable, and he says, I'm sitting right here in front of you. I'm the true elder brother. The only way you're going to get in is for me to go get you. And you don't see it. You're blinded by your self-righteousness. You don't see it. Now, now the younger brothers, they see it. They're, they're thrilled to death that they're invited back in. They know how bad they were. It's the elder brother who doesn't see it. And they're both alienated from the father. And the worst is the elder brother because he can't see it. He's blinded by his self-righteousness. And Jesus says, no. No, you're only going to come in because I open the door and I bring you in. Oh. The true elder brother gave up his personal belongings. Yes? He gave up his robe. Don't start with Jesus as a baby in a manger. Don't do that. Don't do that. And don't even start in the beginning, God. Go before that. Go to eternity past, and I don't know where that is. But Jesus always was, always is, and is to come. And he's always had the robe. Isaiah looks into the court of heaven in Isaiah chapter 6 on the occasion of his call, and what does he say? I am undone. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the court of heaven, and he's overwhelmed. He had the robe, and he gave it up to come into this world, to come get you. And if you remember, when he finally gets to the end, he no longer has that robe. 
He's stripped naked and nailed to a cross. But he also had the ring. He had the ring of truth on his finger. And they took that ring from his hand. They gave him a ring. They gave him a crown of thorns. And they pressed it under his brow. And every resource, a cattle on a thousand hills, his, every resource was his. And he gave them all up. He had no place to lay his head. Because he was in pursuit of you. That would be amazing, just that alone. But it's not enough. The true elder brother gave up his personal belongings, but he also gave up something even more precious. He also gave up his precious blood. The belongings weren't enough. Why? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Someone's got to die. Someone's got to pay the price. You want to do it? You can't. I can't. That's why Jesus says, I will. Father, I will. I'll pay. I'll let him strip me of my robe. I'll let him take the ring from my finger. I'll let him press thorns into my brow. The younger brother had sandals put on his feet. The true elder brother had nails driven through his. And your name was on his cracked lips. How do you know if you're his? People ask me all the time, Pastor, how do I know? I like to say you can't ask the question without knowing. You wouldn't ask it. So, so, so you're already his. But I want to show you something that makes it even easier to understand right from the scripture. I'm going to show you how you know. He's teaching. It's early in the gospel of Mark, and he's teaching. And he's teaching somewhere in a house, and his family shows up. And if you miss the deeper point, it seems like he's, he's just unkind and dishonoring to his mother and his brother, but he's not. He's teaching a lesson to us. He honors his mother. He gives his mother to John as he's hanging on the cross. He honors his mother, but he's teaching this lesson when his family shows up. And they say, your family's outside, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Mark 3, 33 to 35. Who, who, who are my mother and brothers? Jesus asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and what did he say? You. You. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Do you have Jesus for an elder brother? Do you? You do if you seek the will of God. Well, pastor, I seek it sometimes and sometimes I don't. Me too. Welcome to the party. Because we're all still messed up. And if you find anybody who's seeking it perfectly, send him my way. Because i got to find out what they're doing. But what does your heart beat for? Does it beat for the will of God? Do you even care if you're doing his will? Do you cry out? Did you you want to know, know for sure that you're his? 
Repent of the stuff you think you're doing good. I repent of this every week. Because I know my heart stains it. No matter how much I cry out during the week, God, remove me. I know I'm not. I'm still here. Repent of the good stuff. You'll know you're his. That's his will. And one final point. Oh, don't miss this. Especially, especially, especially our, elder bro- our younger brothers. And I'm looking at some. You're not sure, but I am. I know who you are. Younger brother. Yes, Matthew, waving that hand. I see you, Matthew. Okay, younger brothers. Ready for this? Take a look at this passage. Don't miss this. The younger brothers in the pigsty, covered with the husk from the swine, eating some, covered with pig's blood, which was the worst possible sin in the commonwealth of Israel. They had no contact with pigs. But he's rehearsing a story to come home and tell the father in order to get back in somehow. But notice how he wants to come in. Not as a son. Not even a slave. Watch what he says. I am no longer father. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Don't miss this. Hired servant's not a son. Hired servant's not even a slave. What is he saying? What is he saying? Send me into town to live with one of your hired servants who will teach me the trade. Once they teach me the trade, then I will come back and I will work for you and I will earn my way back and I will pay back everything that I have taken because I'm sorry for what I've done. And what does the father do? He doesn't even let him finish telling the story. He says, get a robe. This guy's covered with the blood of pigs. He didn't even send him in to take a bath. He said, put the robe on him. Put the ring on his finger, the sandals on his feet, and the sacrament. He doesn't wait for him to get cleaned up. And he says, my son, you don't pay to come in. I pay. You don't. You're my son. And I love you. You are lost and you're found. You're mine. Okay, now, now it gets personal. Jesus is talking to your heart. You have a longing in your heart. We all have the same longing. We have a longing for home. Some of you can think back to some of the greatest experiences that you've had in your homes. Some of the greatest experiences that you've had over meals and feasts. But they are only a shadow of the substance that's to come. They never can fully and finally satisfy the deepest longings of the heart because they were never designed to do so. They were always designed to point us into the direction of the promise of that longing being fulfilled. I want to give you a quote. It's, it's a little long. We, we've shortened it as much as we can, but I want you to work through this in your mind, in your heart, from C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest sermons ever preached called The Weight of Glory. It's worth a download and a read. I'm going to give you a little portion of this. This is what Jesus is telling his audience then and today. I want you to desire this this elder brother who is absent from the story because he's the one telling the story. He's the one who can fulfill your deepest longing and ultimately bring you home. 
Ready? Here it is. Lewis. In speaking of this desire for our own far-off country, and we all want it desperately, which we find in ourselves even now, I feel a certain shyness. I am almost committing an indecency. I am trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you. The secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. The secret also which pierces with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversation the mention of it becomes imminent, we grow awkward and affect to laugh at ourselves. The secret we cannot hide and cannot tell though we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it is a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience, no matter how good home has ever been. The beauty, the memory of our past are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard news from a country we have never yet visited. Beauty has smiled, but not to welcome us. Her face has turned in our direction, but not to see us. We have not been accepted, welcomed, or taken in. Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door, which we have always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of our real situation. If you're old enough, if you're still a child, you won't get this until you're older, but those who are old enough, you go back in time to those memories. And no matter how good they are, something is still missing. What's missing? At the bare minimum. Those people who made up the memories, they're gone. You see, it never really existed. That longing is never fully satisfied outside of Christ. If you are outside of Christ, you are always, always searching. You're always traveling, and you are never, ever arriving. One of the great themes in all of Scripture is what? Exile. From beginning to end, one of the great themes is exile. Why? We are all living east of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were booted out of the garden. The garden was the representation of the presence of God. They're outside of the presence of God. All of us are, are separated from God. And even when Jesus shows up, it's still only a shadow of the substance that has been promised to come. The exile is real. We're in a far country. This place is not ours. But there's one who was exiled 
in a way we never will be. Take a look at this. That's the culmination of every exile in Scripture. From Adam and Eve to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to all of the prophets, priests, and kings to every single person who has ever lived, that is the ultimate picture of exile. For while he hung on that cross, having given up his robe for you, his ring for you, and every resource, he cried out to his Father, my God, my God, why? Why have you sent me into exile? Why? That was a real cry from a real heart that had been separated from his father. Why? Because of you. You would have no robe if he was not willing to be stripped of his. You'd have no ring if he did not receive a ring of thorns on his brow. You'd have no place to call home if he wasn't willing to give up his. And he did. Why? For you. Is there anything he cannot ask of us? Surely we must say no. Everything we have is his. Even the people sitting next to us. So with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, he says, come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Christ. Put your doing down and come to Christ by grace through faith. And that deepest longing, you'll get a taste of it now, but you'll know one day soon you will be ushered into the banquet and the feast that will go on forever. And you will never, ever again be separated from those who you love and those who mean the most to you. And that longing will finally and fully be satisfied. Come to Christ. Come now. Tomorrow it may be too late. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. Oh God, the power that is in this word. The power to change a younger brother on the run into a son and an elder brother on the run into a son. Father, we thank you that you were willing to come down from your throne and into this world and to be separated and exiled from the everlasting relationship that you had from eternity past that we might be yours. Oh God, thank you for filling the deepest longing of our hearts. For it will only be filled in you. If you've never prayed, make this your prayer. Oh God, I know how far off I am. I come by grace through faith, repenting of all that I have done. And I trust now in Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen.